I just wanted to start this episode with a tiny bit of housekeeping. One, there is some swearing, so you may not want to listen to this um, in front of your children or people with sensitive ears. I do talk about abuse, and I want you to pay attention. There is a part where I tell a story about a TV show at the end of this episode If you're confused, listen to the B-side because I'll explain more about what I mean. Okay, enjoy. Hello and welcome to part two of Holiday Tips and Tricks. Last week I talked about kind of prep work for facing holiday, not just family encounters, but just difficult situations in general, especially situations that might bring up trauma for you. And the three things to work on or, you know, to help you go into different situations. One was number one, taking stock. Number two, explorations or assessing. So once you take stock, then assess Maybe assessing meaning come up with different plans that might either get you out of situations, set up the situations to work better for you, or boundary up in different scenarios. And then follow through. So one and two taking stock and exploration would lead to then implementing those plans so that's what we that's what we (laughs) that's what I talked about me myself and I last week um I hope it's helpful to you I think for me the more time I spend considering what I want and what would make me feel good during the holidays and what I mean by that is not just you know selfishly deciding what I want over everybody else. So for me, I'm a mother and a partner. So when I say, what do I want? It is also taking into consideration what is good for my family and what would help us celebrate in a way that feels authentic to us. But also as somebody that's a survivor what is going to help me navigate the different potholes that come up for me? And potholes is kind of a friendly way of saying, you know, complete fucks. (laughs) So for me, it can be as simple as somebody asking me to do something that for me feels like I have to pretend nothing happened to me growing up to as big as receiving gifts from people that have pretty much written me off and don't believe me and everything in between. So what I want to talk about this week is how to be somebody's believer. And I think last year I wrote about this in a blog. So 
feel free to get on angiefadel.com and look up. I think it's called Line in the Sand. But most people know this. It's not enough to just say you believe somebody. That is that is incredibly important. But what is more important, at least for me as a survivor, what feels more important is your actions. So you can tell me you believe me, but if your actions communicate that you do not, then what good is your words? So actions speak louder than words. That is a saying that is actually true. So for me, if I just give you a little window into my experience, and I think I hit on this briefly last week, is I was later, it wasn't, let me rephrase that. It wasn't until later in my life that I had my first memory. And what happened after that was trauma on top of a memory that was already traumatic. That thanks to the built-in protections that children are gifted with, um, which is repression or, you know, blocking out things that happen, which in my mind is a gift because most children cannot extradite themselves from a family. They have to survive what they're living in. And I think I knew on some level as a child that nobody was going to get me out of the situations that I was being put in. So my body went into denial. And so it wasn't until I was pregnant with my son that I had my first memory and then have been working ever since trying to heal what for almost 30 years I hadn't known was a reality. And then the aftermath of being the person to reveal the secrets. So I think there's always extremes. There is the people on one end that refuse to believe any kind of abuse could happen or did happen. And then there's on the other end, people that absolutely believe you, you don't even really have to say anything and they've got you. And then again, there's lots of things in between. And I think we all know that it is hard for anybody to look at something that has devastated another human being. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to hear somebody's traumatic story and hold space for them, believe them, do all the things that need to happen to help somebody piece their life back together. I'm not going to pretend that it's easy, and I've experienced it. Because it takes a really healthy dose of empathy to be able to sit with somebody in their pain and not give them platitudes. 
So when we are somebody's believer, it looks like not only us believing them with our words, but with our actions. And I'm going to tell you what that looks like. So one of the things that I talked about last week that will help us understand what it looks like in practical terms is most of my family at one point in the last three years have been has been inching its way to believing my sister and I inching very slowly at the same time as them inching into some kind of belief about our experience was at the same time being constantly invited to pretend that nothing happened to us And I want to be very clear, I understand that it's difficult because nobody more than a survivor wants to pretend or believe or hold on for a moment in time that to the idea that nothing happened to them. Nobody more than them. But the fact is, once you open Pandora's box, It's off the table, but it doesn't still mean there's this desire, this unction inside of us to believe that nothing happened to us. And I'm not just talking about sexual abuse. I'm talking about every kind of abuse. I'm talking about physical abuse. I'm talking about mental and emotional abuse. I'm talking about... um, rejection and abandonment and isolation and every kind of level in there. They all leave a painful mark. So what my family did on a continual basis was, well, it's all water under the bridge. It's all water under the bridge. It's basically like you've admitted it. It happened in the past. So get over it. Or this didn't happen as much in the, you know, more recent years, but when it, you know, in the first like 10 years of me kind of setting up boundaries and using my no was blood is thicker than water. Which, come on, what kind of bullshit is that? You're going to talk to somebody that is looking at their trauma and trying to make sense or understand how to move forward from looking at it, and you're going to tell them that blood is thicker than water. Anyway, people are really good at platitudes when it comes to other people's pain. And just the constant insistence that we show up for things. And what are showing up needed to look like for them to feel comfortable is we would show up and pretend for an hour or two that nothing had happened and pretend with our other siblings that they hadn't taken sides, called us crazy, 
said we were liars, talked shit about us, you know, you name it. We, the survivors, were supposed to hold that space for other people so that other people didn't have to deal with our pain. Which, that's all kinds of fucked up. But anyway, I can only speak from my experience personally, but I have spent years working with survivors of every kind of abuse. And what I've come to find is my story is not unique. People are constantly asking the people that have the most trauma to do the most work at pretending, about making everybody feel comfortable, about not rocking the boat, just, you know, just do whatever you need to do so that we don't have to talk about this shit. And we all know that that's not okay. But what is okay? So I have compiled a list of how you can not be that kind of a person, how you can be someone's believer. And I'm sure just like other people have tips and tricks for the things I talked about last week, I'm sure there is probably a hundred or more things that we could add to this list. But here's just a snapshot of what you can do. So what you can do for survivors of any kind of abuse is don't spend time with the abuser. Parent, guardian, foster parent, aunt, uncle, friend, etc. If they knew of the abuse, then don't spend time with them. Don't invite them to parties and functions where you're expecting the survivor to show up. And I think um, Tignataro really illustrates this so well in her, I think it was a prime TV show that she had called One Mississippi. And it's kind of a, her story intermingled with probably some fantasy. But in in the show, it, something comes to a head and um, Tig is talking about her abuse from her grandfather and her brother looks at her and is saying I didn't do anything I didn't I didn't help you and she looks at him and says you were raped too so your silence I'm I'm hesitant to say it's equal, but it definitely causes some serious trauma to the victim. So consider that when you invite people. It makes you complicit with the abuser. And then don't invite the victim to functions where any of the above people that I just mentioned will be there. One, don't spend time with people that you know did awful things unless they've owned it and sought 
reconciliation of any kind. Don't. Don't invite the victim to functions where anybody that abused them will be. Don't say it's water under the bridge. Don't say get over it or act like they should get over it by continuing to put them in situations where they're supposed to get over it. Don't act like the victim is the problem because their abuse and boundaries causes you discomfort. It is uncomfortable, but it is way more uncomfortable for the survivor than for you. And I think Brene Brown says anybody can do something for 10 seconds. Anybody can have some discomfort for 10 seconds because by the time that that 10 second initial discomfort, I probably have the timing wrong, but is over, you know, you can do pretty much anything. Don't send photos of the abuser having fun, being normal. There's quotation marks around that at holiday events that the victim can't come to because it's trauma inducing. So I guess just consider them. If this had happened to you, would you want to see your abuser having fun at a place that you can no, no longer come to? So don't tag them in photos. Don't say, do, insinuate the, the survivor is crazy. So just because you don't understand what it's like to live through a traumatic experience or walk around the world in the skin of somebody that never feels safe, don't insinuate that they're crazy. Basically, don't act like they're crazy. Don't gang up on the survivor and try to manipulate them to come to family functions, group gatherings, places where their abuser is go- might be. So this is similar to the very first one, but I think what makes it hard is it's not just the ask. It's the ask by multiple people and then the manipulation of the survivor's emotion because you don't like that they're not going to come. So you would have to do some reflection on what that would look like for you. But every survivor that I know has and is continually manipulated by their family, extended family, to show up to things that they know is not going to be healthy or okay for them to show up to. Don't trick them into thinking an event is safe only to have invited the abuser to that function because you think you're going to do some kind of healing work. You aren't. And the trauma that someone could experience in that situation could be life-altering. So I want to flush this last one out a little bit. So I had an experience pretty early on in my therapy work where somebody called me and asked me why um, an abusive... This wasn't somebody that abused me, but somebody asked me to explain why an abusive person, this was a person that had molested a couple 
younger people years ago, why this person shouldn't be invited to a Christmas um, party. And so I explained a little bit of my story. I explained that um, it only takes... And I was wrong at the time I said 30 seconds, but I think it only takes seconds for a molester to alter a child's life forever. And it is the responsibility of the adults in the lives of those children to not put them in a situation where that can happen to them. And... I explained also how, just for shits and giggles, why it also would not be fair to somebody that has a bent that makes them want to harm children to put them in a room of children and adults preoccupied with partying. And I felt like I leaned into my own vulnerability I explained why I understand that it's hard to exclude somebody, but the potential damage is too great, and that person should not be invited. And you can do something separate and private with them without any kids. That doesn't mean you have to cut them out of your life. Whatever you need to do, do. And I felt like I was clear, and it was hard for me because I was really at the beginning stages of speaking my truth about what had happened to me and then uh, probably about three weeks later we went to a Christmas party and there were children running around and all of a sudden I saw somebody and I think a lot of survivors can attest to having this experience where I didn't know this person but I knew I knew it was the person that we had talked about and he had been invited to this party. We had not been told. After I had probably an hour phone call explaining why he shouldn't be invited, what my experience had been, I was invited to a Christmas party and not told that he was going to be there. And I had my two little kids with me. And I looked at my husband and I said, is that who I think it is? And he said, yes. And I said, we're going. And so we left. Nobody should be put in that situation. If you don't have the guts to not invite somebody because you can't handle whatever the repercussions are going to be for them not to like you or other people not to like you, then don't invite the person that you know has trauma. If you can't choose, then make that choice and don't invite them and explain to them, you don't have the courage to tell the abusive person not to come. So you're asking, you're giving them a choice whether they want to come or not, which is basically kind of going against what I said. But if, but I guess if you can't do the right thing, that is the only right thing. Because... What happened to me in that moment was traumatic. Not only am I dealing with my own experience at the hands of adults looking away 
from what was happening to me. But I shared vulnerably my story, end up in a situation with the people that I had told where they invited this person and now my children are there. So now on top of it, on top of it, I'm dealing with my own pain around it. And then my fear that something is going to happen to my children. That should not happen. So I know this is kind of a a somber podcast and I'm not going to apologize um, because I think those out there that are dealing with this every Christmas, I have a, a Facebook group that's it's called Holiday Survival Guide that I've had, I think, a couple years. And it's a safe place for people to talk about what they're going into over the holidays. And it's not just survivors. It could be maybe we're married and you're divorced and it's not amicable and you have to deal with what it's going to be like for your children or what it's going to be like for you. It's anything and everything in this group. But what we do well is we hold tender space for each other. And there are some really painful stories on there. I think one of the most painful things for me was um, in that whole scenario that I just talked about was before I hung up the phone one of the people asked me how it was Christian how I basically how could I call myself a Christian if I didn't include this person which I would counter and go how could I call myself a Christian if I did but let's just take that manipulative bullshit off the table and just say Don't hide behind what you think is good religious behavior. Because it's just another mask to wear. But try to to look at the situation of the person that is trying to navigate not only the holidays and all that stuff, financial and pressure and loneliness and whatever it is but on top of it have to deal with trauma and navigating that in you know in a time of year that is full of landmines so I just want to encourage those of us that have experience in these situations to try to tell our truth if it is safe for us to do so. But also, we have this opportunity to be someone else's believer. Because there are plenty of people facing, not just this time of year, but every day of their lives, not being believed. The least we can do is be somebody's believer. And what, what happens if you're proven wrong? Well, nobody got hurt. Because I'm not saying go out and attack people. But I am saying 
do the bare minimum of helping others by not setting them up. So just to recap, for a moment, put yourself in somebody else's shoes of what it might be like. You can even take an experience maybe that is, maybe you haven't had something as extreme as sexual abuse, but you can engage your empathy of something that is maybe your most painful event and thinking, putting putting that painful event like a, like a screen on top of what is somebody else's most painful event. And then imagine going into a situation where that the most painful thing that's ever happened to you is ignored, brought up and exposed, poked at, laughed at, and then somebody looks you in the face and says, that didn't happen to you. So if you can't understand the extreme you can take your most painful life moment and apply it so that you can bring better understanding to how it must feel to somebody else. And that's it. I don't, I don't think it's very hard because it's just putting other people first it's saying I believe you it's saying if nobody else does I have your back it's saying that I'm not going to participate in things that cause you more pain and trauma so I hope that that's helpful I hope that if you have things that you can add to that how to be somebody's believer that you will add it in any comments or DM me or whatever because we got to stick together and we have to help each other navigate these painful or potentially painful experiences because I think when we do this these holiday parties you know moments overnighters can become healthy life-giving experiences that change and shift the way the next generations do them because we don't do anything in a bubble so everything that we do towards health health and awareness changes things for the for future generations so just keep that in mind if you can't do it for yourself do it for future generations i hope that your thanksgiving was life-giving, was exactly how you wanted it as far as friendsgiving, safety, all of the things that you put in place. And if not, you can consider Thanksgiving a trial run for Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa because you can do it differently and you keep, can keep making tiny changes for what you want your future to be like. Remember who you are. You are worth knowing, you are worth loving, you are worth being in this world. Please like, share, and subscribe. Thanks. Happy holidays. B-b-b-b-b-side, b-side. You're on the B-side, B-side. 
where the funny stuff is found. Yeah. You found yourself listening to the B-side. Okay. So I wanted to flush out a little bit better the story that I was telling you from One Mississippi. I don't think I did a good job explaining it. So Tig is dealing with her stepfather not understanding why she can't get over her abuse. And her brother comes to her and feels like he didn't protect her. Her response to her brother is, you were raped too. This is a huge moment for me in the show because so often people that grew up in a house where there is abuse, even though, even if they didn't experience firsthand the physical abuse, they experienced the abuse secondhand, which leaves its own mark and its own trauma. What I was trying to illustrate is how our silence ricochets in families. And our silence is our silence is our yes that we approve. So if we say nothing, if we do nothing, it is as if we approve. There's one thing I learned um, that was really influential in me for me dealing with people that were experience, experiencing domestic violence. If you stay in the middle, if you try to stay in the middle and not take a side, you are taking a side. Your inaction your stance of, well, I'm just, I don't want to get in, I don't want to pick sides. I just want to stay neutral. There is no neutrality in abuse. Your middle ground, your staying silence is your agreement with the abuser. Yeah, that's hard to handle, but it's the truth. And she was so generously saying to her brother, who was, you know, he's either a couple years younger than her, a couple years older, there was nothing he could do. So she wasn't saying you were complicit. She's, she was saying you were a victim. So I don't think I did a very good job illustrating that story. That whole show is amazing, how they handle abuse in the workforce, sexual harassment, and Tig's journey with her own abuse as a child is unbelievably accurate and well done. So check it out. On a lighter note, one of the things that got me through some really dark times, because I'm looking for joy, and this was before Pinterest, was hashtag awkward family photos. I would sit in bed for at least an hour just scrolling through the most awkward photos that families possibly could take. So if you need some joy, awkward family photos. Also, my Pinterest, I have a board, which is, I don't know what the board is called, but it's Christian albums. And there are some really unfortunate ones. So if you need some joy, hashtag awkward family photos, or get on my Pinterest, look up albums and 
my Pinterest is, I think, Angie Fatal Soul Care. You will not be disappointed. Okay, thanks. Bye.